Long Beach Sermons, visit us at citychurchlongbeach.org. Amen. Hey, welcome. Uh, You may be seated. Uh, Welcome to our friends who are on Zoom. We're super glad you guys are with us here today as well. Uh, It is good to be with you. Uh, My name is Bill White. I am one of the co-pastors here at City Church of Long Beach, and we are a radically welcoming community on the journey towards Jesus, joining him in the renewal of all things. And we're just glad that we get to do it together. It's a gift. So um, one of the things we like to do around church is we like to bless our kiddos. We think kids are really important. Um, And so before kids head out to their kids' men time, I'd like to invite up Megan Clendenning, who's going to pray for us. So if you'd welcome Megan. Right. Thank you, Megan. Thanks for loving our kids. Hi, good morning, everybody. Would you pray with me? Dear God, thank you so much for this day and thank you so much for the kids here with us and here on Zoom as well. Um, I pray that you bless them and keep them healthy and safe and I pray that they know how much you love them. Um, And I pray for this community. I pray for everyone who takes care of the children, um, that you give them patience and love for them. And I just thank you for today. (laughs) Um, And in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen, amen. So kids, if you want to go, kids up through fourth grade, fifth grade, like I was saying, fifth grade, um, are gonna go with Megan and hang out and have some fun out yonder. And this is, if you would please welcome Brenna Rubio, our other fearless co-pastor. Also known as mom. Yes, to, to, not to Bill, <laughs> but to other people who are walking out the door. That, that was an important distinction. <laughs> really? <laughs> wow. Okay. Uh, it's going to be that kind of day. It's going to be that kind of day, I think. Um, it's really good to be with you guys. I was out sick last week and so bummed because for those of you who were here last week, it was amazing, right? Man, we got to hear from some incredible people as we were, we were asking some important questions about, well, partly about just how, how do we ask better questions? And especially how do we ask better questions that lean into us really being able to see each other the way that God sees us and particularly thinking about the disabled community and how do we see each other fully uh, in that? And so it was just an incredibly, um, man, it was a powerful, it was a powerful Sunday. Um, this is the message or this is the series that we have been leaning into in so many ways. It's been called Seeking, all about asking honest questions about our faith. And and honest questions do tend to be better questions, right? So this morning we're continuing in that theme, thinking about better questions and not so better questions. Um, And I was thinking in particular about a gathering that we had last Saturday, not yesterday, but a week ago yesterday, where about 35-ish folks from City Church came together uh, because we had invited everyone and said, hey, if you want to help us do some dreaming, some listening to each other, to ask the question, what is God doing in our midst? Because recently we had our 10-year anniversary, and so we just want to do some dreaming towards what the next 10 years might look like. What is God doing amongst us? And, and so we spent 
you know, a good three hours together, lots of listening, lots of sharing. There's actually some energy to keep, kind of keep going that some of the people who came, uh, you know, last Saturday wanted like, let's keep going, let's keep talking more, let's lean in, and that's so exciting. Uh, but one of the things that was shared during that time in a group that was thinking particularly around the spiritual and how we're, we're being spiritually formed in this community, how we're going on the spiritual journey together, um, it was a lot about how, how do we hope more together? And I want to read to you what uh, one of the leaders in that group sent me afterwards so that you can hear in their own words. They said this, so many of us have been hurt in the metaphysical space of church, that world of ideas and spirit. We've been hurt in the metaphysical space of church, and so we tend to shy away from it. And yet we're leaving so much power on the table when we don't tap into the Holy Spirit and her power. And so I want you to hear what that leader said and then some of the ways that I understand it, which would be sort of saying, we've been hurt so much when, when church leaders have tried to speak definitively about this vertical relationship that we have with God. When, when church leaders try to speak definitively around things that are actually very mysterious, like they know God's plan for your life. And they know the formula that will mean that all God's blessings will descend upon you. And right. You think like you're talking about my life. <laughs> like my, this is what I've tried to do to people. Like I have all the answers. <laughs> it really doesn't work very well. It doesn't. Right. And lots of us have experienced that, whether as a person saying it or the people receiving it. So this vertical space can get really challenging. And so we tend to focus more on what I would think of as like the horizontal, what we can see and touch. And so this leader is saying, I think we're missing out a bit because we don't want to hurt people by saying too much about the vertical, sort of over-promising or, or giving too much certainty. And yet, is there something that we can say? Isn't there something beyond what we can see and touch? Can we still lean more into that mystery? Can we have hope? How would we do that more as a community? And I thought it was a really good question. It is a really good question, right? How do we be unapologetically hopeful and believing when we're facing some of the realities of our own experience and of, our, of the brokenness of our world? Um, so we're, we're going to read a passage here in just a minute from the book of Ezekiel uh, in the Old Testament, a prophet. Um, and it's a beautiful picture of like how God breathes new life, new spirit into the people. And it's an invitation to hope, to new life in the midst of really difficult situations. Um, and so I just want to pause here and invite us to think about our, our really different, difficult situations. Uh, individually and corporately, um, because we all have them, those situations where you just feel like you're done. There's nothing left in this marriage, in, in, for my finances or for my health or for whatever your situation is, or in your family or in politics in America. 
or whatever it is, right? And you just like, you hit the wall. And there's this strong power that extinguishes hope. That's what Ezekiel's talking about. And Brenda's going to bring in uh, one of the scriptures later from the New Testament that's going to speak to it as well. But for me, uh, I, I volunteer once a month, not much, but up on Skid Row. My wife runs a, a medical clinic on Skid Row. And uh, actually, Joe, do you have a picture? So this is right near her clinic. Um, this is what Skid Row looks like uh, right now. And... Uh, that might, no, that's actually not her clinic building, but it's, it's right there. Uh, not sure if you've been to Skid Row recently, but it's a place that can extinguish hope. And so I just, I, I go through the, I'm a volunteer chaplain, which is like, I don't know. I mean, these are like medical professionals, like saving lives. And I'm like wandering around the, uh, can I pray for you? The, the lobby, like, can I pray for you? <laughs> so I did have a woman tell me today that, you know, I was a powerful prayer, that God healed her. Um, she got medical results. I told one of the medical staff, they laughed in my face. They thought it was hilarious. Um, but I was like, hey, she gave me credit. I'll take it. Trying to do um, some of that vertical and horizontal. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, was, I prayed for her in the lobby just before she went in. Um, but uh, Maybe they did something important inside that, the room, too. The tests actually had come out a week before, and they were just giving her the results. But that, whatever. That's, that's okay. I, I mean, I'm pretty awesome. <laughs> I'm pretty awesome. Um, and so I don't know if you get the LA Times. So in the LA Times front page, top article this morning, um, is about the, the primary partner for that clinic on Skid Row. So the first three floors are a medical clinic, and then it's a seven-floor building with housing uh, for folks coming out of homelessness on top of it that's run by an organization called Skid Row Housing Trust. And so the LA Times breaks this huge story today, which we had known was coming, but it says, Skid Row Trust's dysfunction and bad bets leave tenants in straits. And I mean, it just is this huge article with all these pictures of the squalor and the financial ruin of this organization as they've just done these, made really bad choices, hired, I mean, it's just, it's a huge piece. You can read it if you want. Um, and they're going under. And they're, they have something like 24 buildings or something in Los Angeles that are just decrepit. And, I mean, it's just terrible. And there've been all these issues with the clinic. They're in a financial partnership for this huge building and it's bleak. Mm. My, my wife's clinic is facing, I mean, financial straits that they've never seen before. And it's, Literally, you're just looking at hope being extinguished every day in the individual lives and in this corporate. So that's what I bring this morning. So I'm, 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 I'm here for me. You get to be here for you and for your communities as well. And so we're going to listen to a passage. Uh, if you'd welcome up Anna Martinez, who's going to read scripture for us today. Welcome, Anna. <laughs> 
So this comes from Ezekiel 37, and the people are just have been decimated. And so, so God has a word for them. And this is that word. So uh, around City Church, sometimes we stand, um, sometimes we sit. You may do either. Um, they're both ways to honor God, right? So, uh, but here's a scripture from Ezekiel 37. The hand of the Lord was on me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. He asked me, Son of man, can these bones live? I said, Sovereign Lord, you alone know. Then he said to me, prophecy to these dry bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says of, to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you and you will come to life then you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together, bone to bone. I looked and the tendons and flesh appeared on them and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophecy to the breath prophecy son of man and say to it this is what the sovereign lord says come breath from the four winds and breathe into these slain that they may live so i prophesied as he commanded me and the breath entered them they came to life and stood up on their feet a vast army People of God, this is the word of God. You may be seated. I've just got to say, I love seeing Anna start to smile as she got there to the end. <laughs> I don't know if any of you are feeling that, but I was just watching Anna's face. <laughs> that there was, there is maybe some hope still. It has not all been extinguished. I mean, it's just a, it's just beautiful poetic picture, right? This, this dramatic vision that God gives to Ezekiel, that in the midst of desolation, there actually could be life. It could be life. And when, when I think about uh, Katie's clinic and, and some of the hardships that they're facing and the hardships of folks on Skid Row, I think, wow, I need that kind of vision. And, and maybe that's what, that's what you need today. I don't know where you are. I, I just know where, where I am. And, um, so there's a, a quote from uh, a pastor who's, who's writing about this particular passage, and she writes this. Uh, I think, we, yeah. God says, can these bones live? This is a question not of probability, but of possibility. What God wants to know is, can you see past the rubbish, the damage? 
the crisis, the violence, the signs of decay. Can you imagine that life still lingers there? Do you dare to believe and even trust that the power of life does not ever go underground in such a way that God cannot revive it to glory? Mm. It's this invitation to hope in the, in the midst of great hardship and I think that's really what we're, we're talking about today is the, this intermingling of facing reality and yet still having hope. That's what, what God is inviting us into. Uh, there's, there's a picture by uh, Carmel Beaujolais, um, a photo, actually it's a painting. Um, it's called Rubble. And it's, again, it's a picture of this, like, it, it came out of this passage, and as she painted, she's thinking about, like, can life come again from the rubble? And just take a moment and look at that picture. What do you see? A lot of rubble, but maybe some humanity coming out. Maybe some life, maybe just before the breath is fully breathed in. She writes this about her painting, and it's an invitation to us. Who are we in this story? Are we the bones seeking life? Do we perceive ourselves as spectators of suffering? Or will we choose to be participants in healing as active agents of God's resurrecting power out of the rubble? And I think we get to say yes to any or all of those. Are we the bones seeking life? Are we just spectators looking on at a world that's broken and keeping ourselves apart? Or are we part of God's story, invited to participate in the renewal of all things, as we say in our mission statement? I mean, it's a common theme, right? It's almost like what we experience is something that God's people have experienced over the course of human history this struggle with there's so much happening that is discouraging, that could extinguish hope. Can we hope anyway? Can we radically believe? Do we dare believe? And what would that, what would that even look like? So there's a story in the New Testament, one of those Jesus stories that really picks up this theme in a pretty profound way. I mean, we're, we're sort of moving this question of, can God restore life when all seems to be lost? It's possible we're really gonna be focusing in on that in two weeks on Easter morning. Um, but this is one of those stories that in all sorts of ways foreshadows the story of Jesus's death and Jesus's resurrection. 
It's the story of Lazarus. And I just want to do a sort of a shorter retelling of it now because it's one of the longest narratives in the Bible. There are like four or five sermons worth uh, of material, and I'm not going to do that to you here in this <laughs> next five minutes. But here's what, here's what happens. Friends of Jesus, a couple of sisters named Mary and Martha, and I will actually tell you biblical scholars are a little like, was it really both of them? Was it maybe just Mary? Anyway, questions, questions about this incredible narrative. Um, two sisters, they send Jesus a message that their brother Lazarus, who Jesus loved, was sick. And the fact that they sent Jesus a message, right, the subtext is he's seriously ill. He needs you, Jesus. And for some reason, the text doesn't entirely tell us why, but for some reason, Jesus wants to wait. He doesn't immediately pack up and get on the road. Um, he tells his disciples, the people who are traveling with him, that this is a sickness that is not going to end in death. It's going to be for God's glory, ultimately. And that's actually totally fine with Jesus' disciples, because where Lazarus lives with his sisters, Bethany, it's really near Jerusalem. And they know that the people in Jerusalem, many of them are upset with Jesus. And the last time he was around them, they tried to stone him. They tried to kill him. So they're kind of like, yeah, let's not go there. Um, I think that's a great idea. But now a couple of days pass and all of a sudden Jesus decides now it's time. Even though the text tells us that at this point, Jesus knows that Lazarus has actually died. He tells the disciples, now we'll get on the road. And they're still not super happy, but they decide to go and die with him. So Jesus insists on going. It's a journey of several days so that by the time he gets there, Lazarus has been dead for days. And you can imagine what it's like for these mourners. They were there with Mary and Martha in the thick of it with them, sharing their worry and their fear. And, and now they've been there with them for days, mourning. And Jesus shows up. And it probably doesn't seem totally like out of left field that they're a little bit like Jesus, maybe a little too little, too late. Why didn't you get here sooner? I feel like that's often how it feels in the spiritual journey. Right? <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I just thought I'd point Jesus, that out. Jesus, yeah. That's what's talking in my mind. <laughs> I was praying. I've been praying about this for months. Yeah, I heard that. Yeah. Amen. And so some of the people, they ask some pretty direct questions, whether they're saying it to Jesus' face or they're just kind of muttering to the side. Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man, our story from last week, couldn't he have kept this man from dying? If you love him so much, Jesus, and if you're supposed to be so powerful, what's up with that? It's this skeptical response. And it makes sense on so many levels to us, right? They're looking at what they saw, and this is the response. But one of the sisters, Martha, she comes and she talks to Jesus. And it's really interesting because what she says to him is, it's just a little different. 
different in kind of a key way. And so I want to read these few verses for you. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. So what's interesting to me is she does say what everyone else around her is saying. Jesus, if you had been here, he wouldn't have died. And, but, it's really more of an implied and, I still trust you. I know that even now, God will give you whatever you wish. And there's this sort of open-ended, maybe it's, maybe I'm going to have to wait, right? Maybe it's the resurrection at the last day. Maybe that's what I have to wait for. Maybe you can do something even now. Maybe you can bring Lazarus back to life. It seems like she's kind of open-handed, but she knows there is still possibility in this situation. And she's just waiting to see what Jesus is going to do next. And I just wonder, looking at that, like, what does it look like for us to hold the both and? To acknowledge that sometimes we are... We're frustrated too. We feel like Jesus has shown up too little too late. And we've been asking for so long. And we don't want to suffer and we don't want it to be so hard. And to still hold hope for what is still possible, what could still be next in the story. So thinking about this, what really was a catastrophe in Martha's life. And this was a big deal. And taking that seriously and asking honestly, what does faith look like? How do we hold that both and? It reminded me um, of some questioning that a lot of theologians have done in light of another big catastrophe not sort of a natural disaster, something natural, like someone getting sick and dying, or natural like an earthquake, but really an atrocity, a human-created catastrophe. And so people who ask, how do we hold faith in light of these awful things, like, for instance, the Holocaust? People who would say, you can't make any theological statements. Don't try and claim you know anything about God, unless what you say can make sense when you think about the Holocaust, about people marched to their deaths. And so this one rabbi named Irving Greenberg, he says this, neither Exodus, which would be in the Jewish story, a story of of triumph, of hope, of liberation, neither Exodus nor Easter wins out or 
is totally blotted out by Buchenwald, one of the first and largest concentration camps. But we encounter both polar experiences. The life of faith is lived between them. And this dialectic opens new models of response to God. I know that was a lot. Let's break it down a little. There's a response to thinking about Exodus and Easter in light of the Holocaust, in light of systemic racism, in light of Skid Row, in light of the recent loss in your family. There's one response that would say, hey, the only true thing we can say is that God is dead. These things are blotted out. They're not real in light of the tragedy. That's one certain response. There's another certain response that would say, Exodus and Easter, those are the only things that matter. Keep your eyes there, whatever you see around you, right? Certain victory, certain, I don't, I don't even know how to phrase it, but just a certain rescue. And that's what faith is, to hold tightly to that, whatever is happening around you. And instead what he's suggesting is, it's not either and, either or, it's, it's a both and. That there's a sense in which, in the lowest of low moments, you're not going to experience faith right there in that moment. You are going to probably be stuck in the spot of, Jesus, if you were real, if you really had this power, if you really loved me, you would have shown up. But that moment is not forever. The life of faith is lived in between. Because there are going to be people around you holding hope for you. Because a few days later, slightly in a different place, and you've moved a bit more through your grief, a little bit of the light may come back, right? It's not either or. We don't, faith is not a static reality, but a dynamic one. One way that I, I was thinking about it reading too is the sense that there are all sorts of experiences, our emotions, we tend to bounce back and forth, right? And have you guys ever seen like, I, I, in a, a former life, I did more uh, with science, right? When you're looking at data, data plots tend to be all over the map, but what you're looking for is a trend line through them. And the life of faith is often like that. Our emotions, our experience, our, our sense of certainty is not going to be static. Rachel Held Evans, um, who I know some of you might know as a, a spiritual writer and, and thought leader, she has this thing where often in her writing, she'll talk about, on days when I believe, and then on the other days. And what if that is actually natural to faith? And the life of faith is lived in between and has lived with a compassion that I'm sure God extends to us. There will be days, all we see is Easter, and there will be days when we're not so sure. And what if that's normal? I mean, that's, that's kind of heavy. Um, so, uh, <laughs> yeah. 
and you just follow that with with what? Um, an actually, amazing story. Yeah, I, I am going to follow that with an amazing story. So I'd like to invite up our friend Duff Fordyce, um, <laughs> who is our fearless sound person here Woo-hoo! at City Church of Long Beach. And uh, we are so grateful for you, Dove, for making us sound good, or making at least trying to make me sound better. Thank than you. I would have otherwise. But no, step step right up. Step okay. right up. <laughs> don't don't be shy. Um, so, Dove, how long have you been around City Church, and why did you stay? Started uh, three years ago, right after COVID hit. Oh. Uh, actually, we visited the summer before on the beach. Yeah. Oh, that's right. That's right. The beach day. That was your the first beach day. day. And so we were going to another church at the time. And then between COVID and Black Lives Matter, and we went, this isn't the community for us. Hmm. Okay. And so, yeah, we started coming here and, and we realized, and while we're here, it's because of the community. Hmm. You know, I could be me. I don't have to be someone else on Sunday. It's hmm. nice. Mm-hmm. That's nice. Beautiful. Um, so tell us a little bit, uh, you share with me a little bit of a story mm-hmm. um, about some of the educational challenges you faced, particularly early on uh, in your life that felt like uh, we're going to sort of push out the, your educational future mm-hmm. was going to was going to be dismal, it was not going to happen. T- yeah. Tell us a little bit about that. So a lot of people when they see me or especially have a lot of interaction with me won't realize that I had a really hard educational life, especially early elementary to elementary. Um, early elementary, I spent a year in special education, at a dedicated special education school. Mm-hmm. Throughout my degree, uh, throughout my uh, career, like in the fourth grade, I had a teacher go, oh, I forgot, you're slow when trying to do oh. a, a quiz. and. You know, always having those pullouts, you know, for school. Um, By the time I was in the sixth grade, my dad petitioned the school to have me repeat the sixth grade. And the school went, because because I am nowhere near where I should be. Mm -hmm. Um, And the school went, no, they're a lost cause. They, um, there is, they will never be able to academically meet our standards. Um, we were just continue to pass them along in the grades just to be a body. Um, and so, yeah, that was my, you know, elementary. And so it was, by the time I was in the sixth grade, I actually had some testing done. My reading level was dismal. It was, er, I mean, it's like first, second grade reading level. Um, yeah, I had a lot of, you know, I dealt with um, dyslexia. I dealt with, um, I grew up with a speech disorder, you know, and so there's a lot of things that challenged wise. Yeah. And did you, did you feel hopeless facing that? Or was there, were there moments, uh, like, how did you, mm-hmm. like, how did that weave in? Or were there other people who hoped for you? I think, you know, with my dad and my dad and stepmom, they definitely hoped for me, which was nice. Um, they seeked some specialist, basically some specialist care um, that helped with some basically retraining. Um, but yeah, it's like when I look at, I, I'm pretty sure that the teachers I had in the elementary school would probably not recognize where I'm at now. Yes. You know, 
for a number of reasons, I'm sure. <laughs> Sorry, that was, that was a little snarky. Yeah. But yes, continue. Mm -hmm. Sorry. Yeah, no, it just, they would not recognize me where I'm at now. And quite frankly, I didn't recognize myself, um, mm -hmm. like in, mm -hmm. um, like even in high school, completely dealing, I'm, I'm with people who never knew me that when I was in elementary school, mm -hmm. never knew those struggles I went right. through, but I knew myself. Mm -hmm. And so even in high school, I graduated high school with honors. Mm -hmm. Really? I did, yeah. I, I, That's I, awesome, I, yeah. that is awesome. But I, I graduated high school with honors, but I still consider myself dumb. Yeah. yeah. I took all that experience coming up with me early elementary, and it wasn't until I think past college, I was on honor roll and during college. Mm -hmm. It wasn't past college that I realized, wait a second. <laughs> I'm actually. Oh, uh, wait a second. Why do, because I, I kept on thinking, why does everyone consider me smart? <laughs> I, but <I'm> besides. <laughs> besides myself. This, she is a total nerd. If you yes. want, if you want a nerd, come and talk with Dove afterwards, and you'll be like, "Ooh, wow, she really is nerdy." But yeah, no, it's yeah, it was just a, a weird. Yeah, you know, I had so it's like I had to mentally go, "No, there is, I, I, I am, I am who I am." Yeah, right, mm. right. I mean, that's just such a beautiful story, right? You kind of ran up against all these walls, mm -hmm. um, and yet people had hope for you. Mm -hmm. um, do you have a sense of where God has been or is now in all of this? Yeah. Um, and and that, that interfacing of both facing reality and having hope together. Mm -hmm. Can't really, I'm not sure if I could answer that. Um, I know throughout my life, you know, I grew up in actually two different Christian traditions. You know, I grew up in more of a, kind of a congregational uh, congregational church, very similar you know, in terms of worship or, or of not so much worship, but how we approach God. Mm -hmm. And also I grew up in uh, evangelical, which is, you know, they would see my life story because I accepted Christ, you know, right before mm -hmm. um, this shift, you know, right, I accepted Christ in like the fifth grade. And so it's right before that entire shift happened, and they'll be like, oh, yes, you have a, uh, what is it, um, um, testimony. You have a testimony that <laughs> would be well-liked with the church. Right, because it's all Easter. Yes. 100% you know, Easter. Yeah, it's that, um, you know, the resurrection of your life, you know, the really changing of the life, you know, right. that, that was your defining moment. Mm. Um, but really, it's, Yes, God was in my life. I can't really say, you know, no, that was, yes, it was definitely God's work, but it was not because of some silly prayer I said. Right. It's just who God is. That's how I, I view life. I see life as I'm here, I'm with God. And I don't know, it's just that constant interaction. It's not like, oh, God has this, you know, this and you know, I'm going to do this and this and this or right if I do this and they do you know, yeah yeah no it's, like... it's yeah it's not nothing that I've done or nothing that I am it just is yeah and and that's one of the things I have appreciated listening to your story mm -hmm. is this sense that God is just with me mm -hmm. and 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 it doesn't deny the hardship 
challenges mm -hmm. um, that you faced on multiple levels, um, but it's it infuses your life with hope. Thank you. It's a gift. Mm -hmm. So, hey, would you thank God for our friend Duff? Thank you so much. I do. I loved that story. Oh, I know. So good. And I love the, that it's not dramatic because I think that is that false dichotomy that we can get forced into sometimes. Either God is dead or God. God has shown in all the ways my life is smooth sailing instead of God's shown in all of it. The joyful moments and the sorrowful moments where I was actually pretty uncertain and I wasn't quite sure what was going on. I also really loved, um, I loved hearing in Dove's story that kind of danced between how Dove saw herself and then being mirrored, mirrored back by others. So on the one hand, that it was really difficult at points, right? Because the mirrors in Dove's life were negative and distorted. They showed Dove a distorted picture of who she was as being hopeless, dumb, all sorts of, of just negative and, and hope-sucking words. And yet as Dove continued to grow up, experience the world, the mirrors got healthier, right? The mirrors started to reflect back some of the goodness that had been there all along, the beauty and the hope and created that kind of cognitive tension <laughs> for Dove to wrestle with. It's like, oh, I see myself as dumb, but they don't. And I wonder if that isn't part of what we actually get to do for each other. You know, when we listen to stories like this, the story of Lazarus, even the story in Ezekiel and the, the Valley of Dry Bones, there's always this question of where are we in the story? Are we the ones who need resurrection? Are we the ones who are being invited to help, to prophesy, to breathe in? Um, <coughs> excuse me, that same pastor that Bill quoted earlier, Danielle Schroyer, reminds us that just as God commands Ezekiel to prophesy to the bones, Jesus told those gathered to unbind Lazarus and let him go. It wasn't just Jesus who kind of like rolled the stone away by himself and then pulled Lazarus out and started ripping away the burial cloths. He invited the community to get involved, to get their hands dirty. So this ridiculous radical hope is ours, not only to hope for ourselves, but actually to proclaim and, and proclaiming not just in the way where it's us talking, right? but it's how we actually live. And so again, I think back to last Saturday and the community gathered and thinking about what God could do amongst us and the group that was particularly thinking about how do we love our neighbors well? Um, how do we live out this radical hope and this call towards renewal? And there was a lot of celebration of ways that we've been able to do that as a community. Ways that for families who are, for instance, are, are facing homelessness, that we've been able to participate with Family Promise of the South Bay, one of our key partners, and in, in providing a community house 
for a few families and, and partnering with Wrigley Coffee up here on Willow, providing some employment opportunities and job skills and resume building and all those sorts of great things, ways that we were able during COVID to have a community pantry going that supported and, and helped 50 different neighboring families. That's really meaningful because many of us in this room, and it might not be something that we can just look at each other and tell, right? Just like in Dove's story. But there are people in this room who you know what it's like to experience housing insecurity. You've surfed your share of couches and neighbors' garages. And there are people in this room who have known food insecurity. And it's so meaningful to get to help roll the stones away for our neighbors. And we also heard at that Saturday time that we want to be able to do that for each other on a soul level more and more to be able to provide those mirrors for people that show the true picture. You've heard that you're just irretrievably sinful. Friend, you are beloved. You've heard that you don't belong. You are radically welcomed. You've heard that there's no hope for you, but this is just the middle of the story. It's not over. There is more to come. So in this last moment or two, our friend uh, and leader, Rebecca Martinek-Williams, she's going to come up in just a minute. Um, sorry, Rebecca. That was like, she's, like <laughs> she's ready to come pray over you. Just, just for one minute, we're going to put one more piece of artwork up here just for you to look at and think about a little bit. And, and I want you to feel free to take either perspective. Okay, this, this picture, uh, this creation by Hannah Garrity, what I love about it, <laughs> the perspective is that of Lazarus with the hands of the community reaching in to pull away all that binds, to set him free. And so as you look at it right now, I just wanna invite you, you get to take whichever perspective. Are you Lazarus? waiting for hands of hope to reach into you? What do you need? Feel free to tell God about that. Or are you at a place right now where you're thinking, yeah, I want to do that unbinding work. God, show me. Put me in, coach. You get to decide. Where are you today? How is God speaking into you? For just a moment, as you look at this image, and then Rebecca comes up to pray. <laughs> 